Hey, everybody. You know, Steve and I have over 20 years of experience as therapists and a whole lot longer than that as addicts in long-term successful recovery. We know better than anyone what works and what doesn't to break out of porn and sex addiction, to heal betrayal trauma, and to reclaim your relationship. And we've gone ahead and poured all of our personal and professional recovery and healing experience into a first-of-its-kind program for addicts, spouses, and couples. We call it Dare to Connect. At least four times every week, we engage with you in real time, in the trenches, giving you the knowledge and tools to take back your life and relationship. Whatever else you guys have done on your journey for healing and recovery, we guarantee you have never done anything like this. You know, we've made all the mistakes so you don't have to. Please don't reinvent the wheel. Guys, come on, let's get real. Tomorrow never really comes. Don't wait one more day to change. Claim your free two-week trial today at daretoconnectnow.com. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. Hey, everybody, Mark and Steve on the PBSC podcast. Our uh, topic today comes from a PBSC listener, and we really appreciate her writing into us. She's got a situation that's might probably seems to her to be pretty unusual, but we can tell you from all after all these years of experience, it's not that unusual. Mm, and we yeah. wanted to address it because there's a lot, lot to say about this. And so I want to just read real quick what she sent in. She says, hi, Mark and Steve. First of all, I just want to say thank you so much for doing these podcasts. I'm married for 19 years and we've been together for 20. I'm brand new to this scene. Just found out in the last three weeks that my husband has had severe sex addiction, including voyeurism, porn addiction, infidelity, and intimacy issues. The only thing he has disclosed to me before heading out to an intensive retreat last week was that he was connecting with other women through apps and uh, only talking with another woman. Since he's been gone to the intensive retreat, I've discovered so much more than he was willing to reveal initially. The lengths he has gone to to cover up his addiction and infidelity is quite alarming. He recently has gone to the extreme of even adopting a dog so he could use the dog as cover when creating a dog Instagram account and connecting with women through that. He clearly is excellent at lying and manipulating. I think he believes when he returns from the intensive retreat, he'll be staying in our home. However, I will be asking him to live at a family member's house on their property until he can prove that he's trustworthy. Mm. Here's my question for you guys. Questions. Have you found that most men come completely clean after going to an intensive program for sex addiction? Is it best to do a three-day intensive disclosure or a three-month disclosure? I am more of a rip, rip the Band-Aid off kind of gal, so we can then heal already. <laughs> mm. 
<laughs> also, what are the signs that I should be looking for to have confirmation that he's staying away from the porn cheating and is committed to healing and overcoming this addiction? Lastly, should and how can I be holding him accountable without this becoming a full-time job and driving myself crazy? Thanks so much. Yeah, we really appreciate this listener uh, writing in. I I, I got to tell you, first of all, kudos to to this uh, to the submitter. Um, you sound like you're very you're being very level headed, given a really really scary situation, and we are just so sorry uh, that this stuff is kind of rolling out. Especially you're uncovering things that were not discussed, and and that I mean that's just uh, that staggered disclosure method as we talk about on here is just especially when you're finding it solo. It's just so difficult, and we really appreciate you reaching out and conveying that stuff so clearly. I uh, and can really relate to the questions. I think that they're very uh, good questions, and and we're gonna just we're gonna just move right through these. Okay, we're uh, one after the other. Uh, first of all, not knowing any of the context, so I, I'm, I know I'm saying this kind of off the cuff, but good for you for holding a boundary with having him stay elsewhere uh, for the time being until you can develop out trust. Um, I know that's a difficult decision that in and of itself comes with a lot of things, but say. Creating safety for yourself at the beginning of this is is really paramount. And it sounds like you're not doing it from a place of being punitive. It sounds like you're doing it rather from a place of trying to find safety, which is excellent. Um, and so as long as he's got a safe place to go, we we wholeheartedly approve that again, knowing what we know. Um, but jumping into some of these questions, I'll just kind of uh, write in here. So uh, the first thing, let me see here. Have you found that most men can com- come completely clean after going to an intensive retreat for sex addicts? Uh, and I'm going to pair it with the next one. Is it best to do a three-day d- intensive disclosure or a three-month disclosure? So typically, um, when we are working with a guy, and you know, Mark and I, we speak from experience. I'm going to reference my own experience here just as much as with clients. Um, the layers of deception, both with self and with other people in addiction, run deep. Um, by the time a, a guy gets to the point where he is you know, adopting pets to create Instagram accounts and uh, has multi, you know, these these different ways of finding and chatting of women is exhibiting multiple personas to try to, you know, get people in the web, and you know, is cho- choosing and pursuing lust in so many different ways. Uh, in almost every case, that is, those behaviors are things that build up over time, as does the psychology that guides it. Um, and we get so good at deceiving ourselves, the, or, or in, at deception in this process. I mean, I know for Mark and I, it was difficult to even keep. The levels of deception with oneself clear at times. You get so tied up in this world of kind of living this other life or multiple other lives that it you almost kind of lose your own grip on reality to a degree in terms of your own motivations, what you're doing, because you're so, you know, entrapped in this just never-ending pursuit for more escape, more fantasy, more lust, more whatever. Um, undoing all that, the reality that I have found takes time. When I went ahead and did my very first, for example, my first step one, my step, my first step inventory, which is basically a complete sexual inventory. When I first got into a 12-step program and went through and did that, I did my absolute utmost to be as honest and forthright in that as I possibly could. I spent time with a sponsor working on it, um, several weeks, in fact, and really worked hard to make that as complete as thorough as I could. I, I consider myself to be a pretty honest guy. I never, in my addiction story, I... Rarely, if ever, can I recall a time where I, I would oftentimes passively not mention things, but I, I don't think if it was if it happened, it was rare where I would ever boldface lie to anybody about my addiction. I, I felt like I was honest as much as an addict could be in those times. And I'll tell you, despite my very best efforts to do it, 
And I did. My disclosure was great. My inventory was great when I presented it to my 12-step group. For months afterwards, when I would listen to other inventories, guess what I kept thinking? Holy crap, I forgot about that. Oh my gosh, I completely forgot about that one time when blah, blah, blah. Oh my gosh, this made me think of, right? And there was just this, mm-hmm. and there was this end, end, endless amount of things that seemed like for months or even longer than that, where I would hear for other men's first step inventories and other things that I, my brain was not yet ready to own were coming to the surface because as I made progress in my own recovery, my own shame resilience, I was able to better see myself than I was at the beginning. No matter how sincere I was, the ability to really own that stuff was just severely compromised. I'd been so good at escaping that so stuff for so long. Even when I sat down to try to not, it was very difficult, if not impossible, to do that in totality. Um, retreats like this are really good. And and Mark and I, you know, we do retreats from time to time. Uh, we should probably mention more info about these when our next one's coming up. We'll talk about that another day. Retreats can be really, really great for lots of reasons, for addicts, for couples, for partners. The problem is, is that too often people look to them and say, well, let's see, this retreat, it says it's got like 50 hours of content in it. So that'll be like 50 therapy sessions. I can knock out a year of therapy in like one go. <laughs> yeah. Right. And the problem is, is that neuro, neurological change, bio, neurobiological change, brain patterns, ways of thinking, sh- issues like shame. These are all things where change can only happen so fast. And when you go to retreat like this, it can be an amazing shot in the arm. It can, it can set the tone for better recovery. You can gain lots of good knowledge. But that, that hour equivalent or that hour translation I mentioned just does not translate ever. Um, because you can only take so much from that. And so when if it it kind of depends. I, I don't think it's a bad thing for him to get really honest with himself and like with therapists at a retreat like this. And if he can do that, that's probably a really good start. As long as you are clear and he's clear on the idea that at best, it's going to be probably a very shame-based, very rushed, probably even pressured uh, disclosure. And that there is likely much more in terms of detail and other content that either he's his brain is not ready to own or that he may not even be ready to to be honest about himself because clearly when he went to this retreat right he was hiding all these other things so if if a guy can go to the, one of these with the best of intentions and forget things or not be willing to own things cuz his brain's not ready to if if he wasn't willing to beforehand i would say that the chances are i'd love to hear mark's thoughts on this but the reality is i think you're only going to get you're going to get good stuff from that, but it is going to be limited. I would definitely favor the three months, taking three months to do the full disclosure as opposed to shotgun to the head. I, I don't know if that's a good reference. Pain points to the head, right? <laughs> saying, saying, you know, get this thing done before you head home from this retreat. So that's my first thought. Well, and and you, you kind of paint a best case scenario, Steve. You know, yeah. I've, I've always been very impressed by the fact that you didn't hide things with regard to your addiction. You were very open and transparent about that. Albeit, you know, sometimes you had to be pressed to be so, but you didn't lie. Passive honesty. (laughs) Passive honesty. (laughs) I was, uh, that was not the case for me. I mean, I was so filled with shame and fear. I was just convinced that if everybody, if anyone knew the complete truth, my life, my reputation, my marriage, my family, my my profession, it was all done. It was all over. Mm. There's just no possible way. 
And so because of that immense deep shame, you have to understand, I had spent almost an entire lifetime learning how to keep this stuff hidden. Yeah. Total stealth mode was absolutely essential in order to maintain what I felt in my life would give me security and meaning to be well thought of, to be well liked, to please everyone. I had to go to great lengths to make sure that all this was covered over so that, mm. so that all that stuff I needed, you know, to feel like I was wanted and, and of worth could be intact. So what does that mean? And, and, and in my experience, probably yours too, Steve, you're a little bit of an anomaly when it comes to most of the addicts I've worked with. I don't usually find totally transparent. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you everything addicts. Well, to be clear, that was just with my partner. Okay. I want to, I was totally in the dark with everyone else. So I just, <laughs> I don't want to pay myself in too good of a light, but yeah. <laughs> too good. Of Sorry. A light. <laughs> <laughs> well, even that's like totally transparent with a partner. I mean, yeah, it does. It does happen. Uh, but I would, but it's definitely not, not the norm. And so it is a process. It's very much a process. I think of it as peeling, you know, peeling back the layers of an onion very much the case. And like you said, sometimes we do legitimately not remember things. Yeah. I mean, my gosh, with me, it was, you know, three decades of addiction. There was no way I was going to remember every, all of my addiction stuff during 30 years. That's insane. So a lot of guys, guys don't remember everything. And, and a lot of other times they have learned to shut that down, stick it away in a corner, put it behind a big, you know, 10 foot thick vault. That's not coming out. And so there's a lot of, you know, neurological resistance that they have. And it's, uh, it's, it, yeah, it's a real process to get to that place of total transparency. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree. It is it, it, it and it, it just takes, it's just takes time, right? Cause there are, there's so many walls that the brain builds up. I mean, you think about, for example, we'll just mention one and we'll move on to other questions, but you think about just the concept of compartmentalization. Oh yeah. You know, we talk about that often. It's one of the brain's natural defense mechanisms. We, when really difficult information, when the brain has really difficult things or information to process, it will literally put things into boxes, right? As a way to, you know, survive. Um, you know, we addicts, when we have the level of acting out and the, and the, and the things that we've done there, there, the brain needs some sort of a way to reconcile that with the spirit or the soul or whatever, you know, your own moral value set. And so that compartmentalization piece is, is hard to uncompartmentalize, right? And it's hard to break those walls down. And now putting things in boxes is especially a component of the, of the typical male brain. Mm, right? Yeah. It's very, yeah. very much so. Yeah, so that's that's kind of our first thought. Um, uh, let's see. So we definitely reference with the Band-Aid off kind of gal, and we, and we appreciate that. And <laughs> and that's why disclosures take so long. I mean, we mention that oftentimes on here. Disclosures in my office, and I think Mark does it very similarly. I mean, it's it's months long in the process, and that's if I'm seeing clients regularly to get ready for that. It is. For, for the very reason that we're talking about. And so I, I am much more a fan of let's do this right and, and do it once. But if you, again, I, I mean, you will get good information. If he's willing to come home from this retreat and be honest, you'll have a much better picture, I think, of what's been going on. Just keep in mind, it may not be the whole one. So uh, there's, there's kind of that. Um, next question. What are the signs I should be looking for to have confirmation that he's staying away from the porn, cheating, and is committed to his healing? Uh, there's a, there are a couple of lists, okay? We're going to give you two lists of things to look for. The first are what we would call the externals. 
Okay. Um, so uh, both with how what he does and how he approaches it. So there, there would be some obvious things. Given the level of whatever has been going on here, I definitely the first thing I, I would be looking at are some sort of restrictions on devices, at least initially, um, to help to create safety for you, but also to help create some sobriety for him. Uh, that would include internet content filters, restrictions on having social media platforms, deleting different media accounts. Those kinds of things are all critical. Um, it should be noted, as always, that we don't look to these things as long-term recovery tools, meaning they don't facilitate long-term change. Rather, they help to create an environment in which change can happen. Okay? So we don't exactly. look to those things to save us or to keep a guy sober, but they are very helpful in aiding in the process. And in addition to setting those things up, one thing that you should be especially paying attention to is what is his attitude with that when you bring that up? Does he proactively, willingly do that for himself? Is he willing to, and is he willing to lead out in those things or is he willing to, to be, hey, using the term compliant, but I don't have a better one, uh, with those boundaries that you need to set? As you suggest things like getting into therapy, uh, jumping into our Dare to Connect program for addicts, spouses, and couples, which is one of the best things I could possibly recommend for the two of you right now. Um, six hours of content a week, emotional support groups for him as well as for you. Uh, where we talk about betrayal trauma and all of these different things in a very raw, real way as a group. Um, please do give that a look, by the way, at daretoconnectnow.com. We'd love to have you come join us for a free two-week trial of the new iteration of the program. Um, but multi, you know, as you as you bring resources like that on board, how does he how does he how does he uh, approach that? Is he accepting of it? Is he leading the charge in doing it? Is he resistant? Does he push back? Is well, the other thing to to really keep in mind, I, I mean, I, I love these retreats. What I find far too often is that there is an expectation about what these retreats will do that isn't reasonable. Because uh, I know that uh, in my own early, early addiction recovery, I, I went to retreats and different things. And man, you're like a flashy racehorse out of the gate. You're so mm -hmm. excited. It's so amazing, right? You're pounding your fist on the desk and saying, I'm, I, I've got this, I've got this. And you're going forward with full enthusiasm. And then you leave the retreat and you go back home and real life hits you smack in the face. And this mm -hmm. is what, you know, what happens is that flashy racehorse that runs around the track full speed, you know, at the retreat comes back home to the slow slog of life and ends up, you know, collapsed dead on the track. And now you get to see if this guy is going to get into what, what we call workhorse mode, right? The slow plodding workhorse that goes around the track instead of the flashy racehorse. And so is he, as you said, Steve, leading out, is he getting in, is he, is he, is he, did he use the retreat as, as a start to get himself into the doorway of recovery? And now is he going to continue on and just use that as momentum? So is he in a 12-step group? Does he have a sponsor? Is he working his recovery on a daily basis? All right. Is he seeking to learn how to have couples check-ins? Right. Is he is he leading out of being proactive in all of these things? Exactly. Or is he kind of is he kind of going along kicking and screaming because he's, you know, there are these forces trying to get him to be compliant? Exactly. And and that kind of ties into what I would add to that, right? What is his level of accountability with you? Is he expressing remorse? Does he have that capacity to do that? Mm. Is he starting to see? That's one of these things. He, the one of the things he should be getting from a retreat like this is is there ought to be a healthy kind of level of 
not in a shaming way, but kind of getting in his face a little bit and saying, hey, like you need to understand the impact that this is having. Is he able to connect with that or does he push back? Right. All of those different things are going to be part of that. The other thing that I so so actions and approaches around the actions is is critical. The other thing that I would say, and I, I say this all the time because I think that it's important to know that this is probably the most difficult thing to fake for, and this comes from a master bullshitter and two master bullshitters, <laughs> is is in is insight. Yes. And it's one thing again to check the box and say, hey, I journaled, hey, I did a check-in, hey, I did this, hey, I did look at all these things that I did. It's another thing to be able to say, this is what I learned from journaling today. These are the things that I learned about. I journaled for 10 minutes and I started crying halfway through because I was writing about the ways in which I've hurt you. Mm -hmm. And can I share that with you? Here are the things that I learned today about accountability and the ways in which I screwed that up. And here are my commitments for doing it differently. Yep. Right. Those are, those things are very difficult, if not impossible to quote. Unquote, yeah, you fake. can't. Yeah. I was in my 12 step group, you know, last night and it hit me. I suddenly yeah. had this realization and man, I got to share it with you because I hadn't really, I hadn't realized that before. Yes. But just this feeling of learning how to be transparent and authentic and the opposite of what we've been in our addiction, which was closed and stealthy, right. And, and shut off. And now I'm starting to try to open myself up more, you know, as yeah. we say, so that I can start to learn what real intimacy into me you see is really like. Is yeah, he, is he making steps progressively in that direction? Mm -hmm. Yep. Is he and is he is he is he the one who's proactive? Yeah, like we said, you know, leading the charge and distancing himself from these things. Do you find yourself dragging him along, or is he again willing and and willing to do that and see that for himself? Right. Uh, your last question: Should should and how can I be holding him accountable without this becoming a full time job yeah, and driving good. me crazy? It's everything we just said, isn't it? Yes. And honestly, I, I, you know, at the risk of over promoting ourselves, really, honestly, the Dare to Connect program would be a great place for the two of you to start. Um, you've got these multiple topics that are being brought up every week where you, where you, where these topics can be brought up. You guys can be discussing them, asking questions in the chat, getting feedback from other people in the program. And as you guys move through that, um, there is a system of accountability in, 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 or that's part of what we teach, right? Is how to do accurate check-ins. What do those look like? What, what is the role of each, each partner in a coupleship when it comes to check-ins? How should journaling be, right? What does, what does empathy look like? We just, last week, we had a group on empathy. How is that? Yeah. You know, we, what, what does that even mean? We give assignments after our, yes. after our sessions with addicts and with the partners and the couples. And so, so the proof is in the pudding really quick. Yeah. How you how did how's he doing on his assignment? And then he shares that assignment that he completed and dare to connect with you. Correct. Yep. Yeah. People in our program get at least an assignment at least once a week, right? Uh for the coupleship and or for the individual. So just like with individual therapy with Mark and I, clients who don't do that stuff don't last very long in our offices individually because that's I mean, that's we we hold pretty strict standards around that stuff. That's the kind of thing that needs to happen in order to create change and safety. And so, um, yeah, those are those are all really good places to start. Obviously, individual therapy would be a great thing to look into um, if that's something that you can do. Or, or, or and I know money is a challenge sometimes, but individual and or couple uh, therapy, at least intermittently paired with something like Dare to Connect, uh, would be excellent. So those are all really good ways where you can bring other people into that world where you're not the one standing on the front of that. And again, we can help to teach you guys in our, in our program 
how he to create accountability in a proactive way so that you aren't the one running around. One of the things we teach in Dare to Connect is that you should never become his confessor, his, his absolver, his policewoman. And we want to keep you out of that role. And so we teach how to do that. So yeah, absolutely, um, those would all be great starts. There we go. Okay. Anyway, thank you so much again for for putting your submission in, uh, dear listener. We really do empathize and connect with with the pain, but really do appreciate, like 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 we said, the proactivity and the I, the the go gettingness, I guess, of of what you sent into us. Um, I think I think it sounds like you're approaching this about as well as you can, given the circumstances. So we definitely applaud that. Yeah. All right. We'll uh, see everybody on next time on PBSC. Have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Everything expressed on the PBSC podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.